Welcome to the O'Reilly Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Anderson, Editor for Infrastructure and Operations. I'm here today with Sean Kane, Lead Site Reliability Engineer for the Container Fabric Team at New Relic and co-author of the recent O'Reilly book, Docker Up and Running. We're going to talk about Docker, what it promises to developers and operations, and the realities of using it in production. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. So let's start with a little bit of your background. What, what brings you uh, to, to write this book and to be having this conversation today? Well, um, I've actually been a operations, sort of sysadmin operations engineer for my whole career. After getting uh, out of college, I've spent it in multiple uh, areas of the industry, defense, biotech, media, and most recently the internet. It all sort of started with a similar story with a lot of people. Um, I got an Apple II at the house when I was young, found out that I had sort of a knack for computers, and really happened to be sort of growing up and going to school at the right time. Um, I went to university in Alaska, and as far as we know, put up the very first website there when uh, with HTTPD and Mosaic. And when I graduated in 1994 um, was when the World Wide Web really hit the world, like you started to see WWW out on, you know, advertising and people were just learning what this was. And my very first job actually was for um, doing HTML work for the U.S. Postal Service headquarters in Washington, D.C. And when they, uh, when I got the job, they actually said that they had been listing the job for six months and had, had two applicants because nobody knew what the heck HTML was. <laughs> And since then, you know, it's just been been very um, active in doing sort of, I've always liked the operations side of it and have just followed the industry for, you know, 20 some years now as it's grown and changed and evolved over that time. Wonderful. Well, my notes also say that you went to clown college. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I actually didn't plan on doing computers. I, I, I actually was, I think, pretty... Um, you're pretty observant as a kid that like computers to me were sort of a hobby and I sort of thought, you know, if I if I like start doing this thing as a career, it, it's like I'm not going to like it as much. And so I went into college or into just sort of life in general without an intent to do computers. And I went to clown college because I had done some theater, um, which was a blast. Actually, if you can do it, do it. It's a great couple of months. It was a lot of fun. And I've also done uh, two internships with the CIA, which is completely on the other end of the spectrum. So uh, <laughs> I was exploring a lot, as people <laughs> tend to do. Sure. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Docker. So uh, O'Reilly's been on the beat of Docker for, for a couple of years now. Uh, it's become, of course, an amazingly hot topic. Uh, I'd like to hear from you. You know, How would you describe Docker to a layman? Well, the first thing to understand Docker, you really have to understand what containers are. Because um, Docker uses a technology that's been around for quite a while. And uh, Linux containers are basically a way of isolating processes in um, inside Linux on top of the Linux kernel so that they are both protected from other things on the system and the system is protected for them. It's things like isolating resources, um, and file systems and things like that. Normally, all the sorts of things that potentially cause you security problems or reliability problems. 
containers help you uh, build these sort of walls around your processes. And then Docker came along, and the reason Docker became such a big hit quickly is because containers were actually hard to do. They're hard to build on your own. Uh, there's a lot of technical details. And Docker made this super easy. It basically did all the legwork for you. And in addition, brought sort of another aspect to it, which was this idea of a, a deliverable artifact that represented everything your application needed to run from the ground up. So it included all the files it needed to run, including like anything from the operating system. So you might have some really low-level libraries like glibc, you have maybe Ruby, you have Ruby Gems, and you have your application. And Docker will put that basically into one large um, artifact that you can now use to um, send out for testing or um, to deploy out into production. Okay. Uh, so a lot of people probably benefit from a description of what Docker isn't because um, there may be some preconceptions we bring to the tool from, say, virtual machines that may not be accurate. So what sure. are some common misconceptions? So... I mean, the first thing is, is obviously like, you know, any tool, Docker is, it's not going to solve all your problems. It's not, you know, some magical tool that just makes life perfect. But used right, it can actually put a serious dent in a lot of the problems that people have around the uh, deployment workflow and basically that whole pipeline. Um, Docker isn't virtualization. Um, that's a common misconception. It doesn't actually virtualize at all. All your processes are running on top of the Linux kernel directly. So as an example, in something like VMware or KVM, you would run you you could run Windows on top of a Linux uh, server. But with uh, Docker, you can actually only run Linux binaries inside a Linux container because it's still running natively on top of the kernel. I see. Uh, okay, so so then that makes sense. So then, what Docker really does, uh, I, I guess, I'm particularly curious. You know, say from a developer perspective and an operations perspective, what what does Docker do? Right. So, <clears throat> Docker basically provides this consistent artifact that we mentioned a little earlier, which represents sort of everything that you need to run your application in Linux. Now, this could be a whole framework of uh, again, as we said, sort of OS, low-level libraries, Ruby, Ruby gems, and that whole big stack. It could be very, very small, like a statically compiled Go binary, which actually can run a single, literally a single file can run inside a container uh, that doesn't need anything else but the Linux kernel to do its job. But the big thing that, that Linux or that Docker provides is this ability to take this artifact that you have, a single artifact, and use it at all stages of your deployment workflow. So it used to be back in the day that you would write some code, you would compile it, you might do some tests locally, and then you would give it to QA. You would just say, hey, here's you know maybe the, the Git repo or the subversion repo, go check it out. And, and QA would check it out, they would rebuild it, they would test it on their systems, and then they would give it to ops. And ops had to make sure that they had all the right dependencies already 
you know, uh, laid out on the servers. They needed to make sure they had the right version of Ruby, the right dependencies you needed. And with Docker, because that's all self-contained and uh, within your container, you're basically like in your own space. You don't conflict with anything else that's running on the machine because you can't see it. This means that it's much easier now to run um, uh, services beside each other that have radically different dependencies. And it also means that from the developer all the way out to operations with this Docker artifact, you can test the exact same object. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, when QA compiled their version of it, they were using a slightly different uh, you know, library and that actually created a bug that we hadn't you know seen before or something along those lines so it, it provides a lot of consistency and it removes a lot of work that you normally had to do within that deployment pipeline I see so there there is a organizational or workflow implication to, to using docker and um, that's something we can touch on a little bit later um, for the single practitioner who wants to get started with docker um, what's the easiest way to get started you know spinning up containers deploying applications etc Sure. So Docker is actually pretty easy to get started with. Um, it's harder to completely understand like how you can best use it. But the first thing that, to take a look at is Docker Engine. Docker Engine is the name of the Docker client. And um, this is the tool that actually is used to do things like build a Docker image, uh, push that image up to like a repository, pull it back down and uh, and run it. Um, so it's like the easiest tool to get started with uh, because there's a lot of tools in, in the ecosystem, but Docker Engine's definitely the right place to start. Um, there's a lot of good documentation and tutorials out there about sort of how to use it. And then of course, you know, the book that Carl and I wrote, Docker Up and Running for O'Reilly, as well as this uh, uh, upcoming online class that I'll be doing are great places for people who want to really quickly, um, you know, get their feet wet and understand that both the tools and sort of the overall like way to approach and think about Docker. Great. So that's one part of the story, uh, which is spinning up containers and, and being conversant. In, in the language of, of, of containers. Uh, and the other part is using it meaningfully in your organization. Uh, I speak with people occasionally about, about Docker and the training needs. And a lot of people say, you know, it's, it's one thing to do it yourself. It's another thing to actually create a, a software delivery pipeline based on it uh, at your organization. Um, so I was wondering if you had some tips for how to actually use Docker meaningfully in, in your organization. Yeah, um, so it's interesting. I actually think that Docker has probably in some ways done more for like making people ask the hard questions about like DevOps and what it really means and probably any other tool that's come before it because Docker, again, really talks to this workflow. And as a company, you know, to really implement Docker, you can you can silo it, you can use Docker in certain parts of your organization, but to really get the benefit of it requires a bit of, uh, especially in bigger companies, um, requires changing probably, making changes to the way that you do things, the way that teams interact, maybe even, you know, the ownership of certain, um, certain parts of the process, because it used to, be a lot of times you would have like developers could write code and stuff, but 
they didn't deploy their application. They gave it to somebody else who again tested it and then somebody else deployed it. And with Docker, one of the benefits of it is that you can start to automate the process a lot more. And so as you do that, uh, and that takes time, but as you start to automate the various um, pieces like the testing and stuff, it actually becomes possible for developers very quickly to respond like when you have an outage, you discover a bug, a developer fixes it, they can now push that fix, have it tested in this sort of repeatable fashion, and then actually deploy it out to production in a much, much smaller window than would normally be in sort of a traditional, more waterfall approach. Hmm. Well, great. So let's, let's talk briefly about the story behind the book that you and Carl wrote. Um, what what led you both of you to to write this book, which which touches on both the introductory aspects of Docker, but also the nitty gritties of adopting it at an organization? Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned, I've been a system administrator, operations engineer, and now like site reliability engineer most of my career. Um, and when we had a project at New Relic about three years ago now where what's now the Insights Project was going from testing to basically being launched. It had actually all been developed in AWS and for various reasons, um, we actually needed to bring it in-house and put it into our data center natively when we went to production. And this was by far the largest project we had ever launched um, before, you know, maybe we had three or four servers at any given time that we had to bring up. And this was just starting out the game. It can require at least two full racks of hardware. And so we're starting to rethink how it is that we do deployments in, in, within New Relic. And Docker at that time, this would have been like the fall of 2013. So Docker had been out for six months. Um, a lot of us had read about it, were you know, very interested in, in the potential of it. And so since this was sort of a greenfield deployment, we actually, uh, a big new project, we decided to take some time and try to get uh, Docker working with it. And so that was basically the incentive for us at New Relic to start using Docker. And we spent a couple of months, we converted parts of the application to Docker, um, and, and we successfully launched it in that spring. And I think right around the early summer, it might've actually been at OzCon um, here in Portland. I was, I had just gone to the very first DockerCon, O'Reilly was there and, um, and we started talking about Docker and, uh, and the technology and where it was going and uh, in the interest of writing a book. And so New Relic actually, um, was uh, you know willing to give us to give both Carl and I the time to sit down and write the book. We had been very active in the project for implementing Docker with the Insights project, and so we sat and talked. Neither of us had actually written a book before, and um, we decided that you know we would do this together. And a story that we hadn't heard in all our time with Docker was really why use Docker in production? Like the, a lot of the excitement was around the development story. And I actually think that's true today. And I think there's a lot of value there, but of course a business wants to understand also, you know, where, why will this, you know, make 
production more reliable or you know allow us to, to have better uptime and things like that and so we wanted to talk you know from that sort of operations engineer perspective and so that's you know what we brought to the book was a lot of um, both our experience from actually having used this um, for quite a while at that point and also like our outlook of like what the value was to the business and how it could be used to really transform the way that businesses um, manage their technology. Hmm, great. So, so uh, the the journey that you folks went through with New Relic uh, to to adopt a, a containerized uh, containerized infrastructure uh, is is a journey many other companies are considering at the moment. Uh, and I'm curious, what are some of the value propositions for the switch to Docker? We've talked about that briefly, but I'd be curious to hear a bit more. Sure. So, uh, again, <laughs> the development pipeline is a big one. Um, streamlining that is probably um, that whole process from uh, development to deployment is, is a big plus. There, um, there's also this ability, again, to take all these application dependencies um, combine them all together, deliver them basically in one large artifact that doesn't need necessarily to be su supplied to any other team. It can just be, you know, forwarded. Once you, a developer has potentially pushed it up to the repository, it can be uh, pulled down by your Jenkins jobs automatically and used, and then even pulled down if you had some sort of uh, deployment process uh, as well and then deployed out into production. Uh, it can make it incredibly simple to redeploy applications during regular operations or emergencies. So in, in our environment, one of the things we did is we actually wrote a small um, wrapper tool for uh, some of our workflow called Centurion, which is actually uh, an open source project, which was intended to be a very, very, very simple client for developers to use to uh, manage and deploy their applications to Docker. And this was long before most of the orchestration tools existed out there or were widely used for Docker. And um, that tool allowed us as a company to basically anyone who had the uh, rights to do so could actually redeploy an application even without knowing something about the application. Like as an operations engineer, if I got paged in the middle of the night and it was very obvious that you know, service X was in a bad state. And, you know, maybe we couldn't get a hold of the on-calls for those teams, or it was just urgent and we couldn't wait 15 minutes for somebody to get online. I knew that I could at least try to redeploy the current version or even potentially, um, you know, do a rollback to the previous version if a deploy had been done recently and we thought this was code related. Like I could do that as an operations engineer very easily and reliably and know that it was going to work. Um, whereas before, if I had, there were a hundred services out there and they all were done with their special, you know, developer magic and some people use Capistrano and other people used, you know, some other deployment tooling. It was very, very hard for, um, us as an operations team to actually do, make a decision like, you know what, we're going to just redeploy this to see if we can get it back into a healthy state. Hmm. But with uh, Docker and Centurion, uh, in our case, that uh, became much, much easier to do. I see. So 
things can go really well and it can really help you out. I'm curious what can go wrong if you adopt a containerized infrastructure. Right. So, um, there's, when, when you basically approach this stuff, one of the things that you have to have is a really open mind. Um, because to really take advantage of the stuff, you have to, to, to rethink how you do things. And there's, there are sharp edges, you know, sometimes around integrating with um, potentially maybe you have like static services that need to actually talk to this dynamic Docker environment you're building. Uh, or you need to deal with, you know, some traditional things that can actually change pretty significantly as you start to get into having a truly dynamic Docker environment, which you don't have to start with. You can actually start with a pretty simple static sort of Docker environment. But if you're going to get to the point where, you know, hey, we we launch a, a, a container, we've got five of these services, they just get, you know, not randomly, but they get sort of automatically dynamically put out onto servers, and that can change between deployments. You have to rethink things like how you do monitoring, um, how you do service discovery, like how do we find out? And these are things that some of the, the bigger orchestration tools like Kubernetes um, help try to solve. Um, but they are things that if you're doing it yourself, you know, you'll start to get to a point where your Docker usage will grow to a point where you're like, okay, hmm, we got to figure out how we're going to do logging now. Like we need to do logging slightly differently or we need to, uh, you know, do our monitoring slightly differently. The, the, the good thing about this though is that it also makes an organization stronger. Like an organization that actually wants to be good at tech and, you know, which I think any big organization, certainly any organization that's on the internet, you know, has really does have that desire. They want to do their their business. They want to be efficient. And one of the ways to be efficient is to handle your tech well. That, it, in some level, Docker will eventually, as you as you grow to use it more and more, will actually force your hand to become more efficient, more you know, in some ways, more Google-like. You might say, you know, in the way you handle your internal processes. And although that can be a little hard uh, at the time. It has huge benefits, you know, for companies as they start to to go through that adoption process. I see. So there is a bit of a mindset change that you have to uh, undergo. Absolutely. Again, it's not. It doesn't have to happen in day one. You can use Docker in some small ways, like your developers could start using it, you know, for for dev and QA without necessarily having to do that. But once you really get to the the, the end result of you know, we're using Docker from beginning to end and using it in production in a really dynamic, uh, resilient manner, then you definitely have to, to start rethinking the way that you do things. Hmm. Well, great. So uh, to change tack here, uh, I'm curious to hear from you as a Docker expert, what is some of the more recent news from the Docker world that's particularly exciting? Sure. So uh, Docker Engine 1.11 just came out. Um, the uh, they've, as usual, the Docker um, updates come very quickly. Uh, it's still a project very much in in active growth. The uh, but one of the really interesting things, certainly from uh, uh, both a new user and people who uh, who've been using Docker for a while, is that there are two. Um, 
uh, Docker betas for Windows and uh, the Apple Macintosh that now allow you to run Docker uh, basically locally on your laptops or workstations without running or installing something like VirtualBox or some sort of um, a VM, additional VM software. And what they're doing there is they're actually leveraging, uh, since Docker itself, the Docker daemon, uh, actually only runs on Linux. Um, what they're doing there is using the native um, virtualization technologies in both platforms. So I believe Hyper-V in Windows and what's called uh, XHive on the Mac so that they can basically very quickly bring up a, a super thin uh, Docker VM. And it basically to the user feels like it's completely native. And that's actually a huge um, usability improvement because historically you had to install Docker and install boot to Docker, or Docker machine and VirtualBox. And it, you know the, the setup was a bit trying, especially for people who weren't um, you know, used to using VMs or uh, or are familiar with Linux, this makes it a lot more approachable for for a lot of other developers. Yeah, that sounds pretty slick. Um, so before we end, I wonder if you have a few tips to to reiterate for for our audience. Um, you know, a few things to consider before you move your infrastructure to Docker. Sure. So the biggest thing I would say is don't rush. But don't really hold back either. Um, you, if you look at your processes, try to find sort of the the, the worst pain point in your um, in your current deployment process pipeline. Test, you know, maybe it's your testing, and and focus on that. Um, try to see how you can use potentially Docker to help make that small piece better. Uh, I think sometimes people are really intimidated because they look at the whole thing and it just seems really overwhelming. But here we actually solved a very small problem, which was like, how can we make it easier for developers to deploy in a more um, repeatable fashion? Mm -hmm. And and we just focused on that initially. And that was the first thing we rolled out. And then we sort of built upon that. Um, you know, so you can deploy something very simple to start with, and you might just, I mean, you could actually, like, if you use Jenkins, you could say, you know what, we're going to have, uh, maybe our developers don't need to even use Docker, but we're going to use Jenkins to uh, take the code base and build it inside a Docker container and do all the testing inside a container and, you know, and verify that the tests work and then destroy the container. And maybe that's the first place you start is simply on that very focused thing. And then you sort of expand from there. Um, and then, you know, I would also say, you know, sort of start in the same sense, like start static and then evolve to this sort of truly dramatic or dynamic environment. You know, Kubernetes is all, all the stuff right now or Mesos or, you know, any of these technologies, but jumping in feet first into that, unless you've got really experienced like operation engineers uh, in your organization is probably taking on, you know, a little, uh, a bigger bite than, than you can chew for, and it doesn't allow you to spend time actually getting to understand sort of the technology itself of Docker and what it's good at. So focusing a little bit on Docker first and then sort of migrating up into the big orchestration picture is mm -hmm. also valuable. Well, truly dynamic sounds like a good place to be. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you very much, Sean. This is fantastic. Thank you for taking the time for this. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, glad to talk anytime. Great. So for listeners who would like to learn more, definitely check out Sean and Carl's book, Docker Up and Running. And be sure to sign up for Sean's online Docker training, where he gets you up and running with the tool in a couple of short sessions.